Hi, welcome to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Poflantos. Today, I have Gina Hood. You might remember that name. I had her on in the first season. Uh, we had such a great time talking and discussing things that I thought it would be fun to have her on again. Uh, Gina and I met online on Facebook through different things that we had in common. Gina, just to remind if you haven't listened to her before, but Gina is a Christ follower, Bible student. She is a wife and a mother of two young adult sons. She writes an expository Christian blog at resplendentdaughter.blogspot.com, and I'll leave that. She shares what she learns in her own personal devotions, and I know she's a student, and she loves to learn for the edification of her readers, but also, and most importantly, for the glory of God. And as we were praying today, before this started, um, you know, we always pray for our listeners. We pray that the Lord will speak to you from what we're saying, but most of all, that we will glorify him with everything we say. And I think that's our heart. And um, and I think that it's not just about learning, but it's about experiencing the Lord, experiencing his character and his love for us through his word and through his people. So thank you, Gina, for being here. I appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me to return. So Gina and I have um, a man that we listen to. His name's Rabbi David Foreman. And when we were discussing things, we both came up with, we realized, um, I said, do you know what a chiasma is? And she's like, oh my goodness, yes, I, I've learned all about that. And so you may not know that if you're listening to that, but we wanted to um, share some of that. But we also wanted to share it in scripture and what it looks like and and the meaning of behind it and the um, even the the education behind it in a sense of what you can learn by understanding what a chiasm is and a chiasmic structure. So it's different forms of the word, but we're going to talk more about it. And, uh, and so you want to tell us a little bit more as we, we begin here, like how you got into all of the learning, the research, the education that you have had. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Right. I, I have been in the past three or four years studying with several different Hebraic teachers from time to time. Um, and that's really been very beneficial to my own spiritual growth and development. What we're talking about today, I derived from studying some of Rabbi David Foreman's work, as you just mentioned the the idea of a chiasm that's the the greek derived word for it it comes from the greek letter chi which looks sort of like an x um to us and to me that is like x marks the spot um you know on a treasure map where's the treasure well it's where you see the x x marks the spot well a chiasm is a literary structure and the most important information that we want to focus on is where the x is 
And it reminds me a lot of music, actually. I'm a uh, amateur musician. I, I studied music in college and love to make music. But in music, the various pieces that you play or sing generally have a form of some sort. And uh, sometimes the form can be ABA, which means you have one section and then a, a different section and then the first section sort of returns, or it can be ABBA, or it can be ABC, or any number of things. And so the way that chiasms or chiastic structures are described and and built is in a similar fashion. So uh, let me just sort of step aside and add in that uh, the Hebrew term for a chiasm is atbash, A-T-B-A-S-H, atbash structures. And that gets its name from letters of the Hebrew alphabet. A represents Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. T represents Tav, the last letter. And there's a reason why it starts with the first letter and the last letter, and it'll become clear, I hope, in a few moments. Then the next letter is uh, B in English or bait in Hebrew. And then the next to the last letter at the end of the Hebrew alphabet is sheen. Uh, so you have Aleph Tav, bait sheen, Atbash, all together. And there's a reason for that. An Atbash structure or a chiastic structure, its first key theme of the text mirrors the last key theme of the text. So in other words, Aleph and Tav reflect each other. When I said mirrors, I used that term deliberately because they reflect each other. They're very similar. And then the second key theme that is introduced in the passage mirrors the next to the last theme in the passage. And then I like to think of it as kind of like a dais, you know, the Olympic winner walks up the steps and stands on the dais. Well, the the platform of the dais is where the big X lies. And then on either side of the dais, you have step A, and then you have up the next step, you have step B on either side. And then you may have another step, step C on either side and so forth until you get to the top of the dais. And if you could see me, I'm, I'm using all these hand and arm motions, <laughs> which are completely unhelpful in this situation. Right. But if you can, <laughs> if you can visualize that, that's sort of like what it looks like. So one of the things that I learned from uh, Rabbi Foreman, Rabbi David Foreman, is that in the book of Exodus, the latter half of the book of Exodus is one huge chiastic structure. And if you just read it as an English-speaking person, you ask yourself questions such as, why is he talking about the Sabbath again? Why is he, why is he bringing up the Sabbath again? 
it seems to have no relevance to anything. But when you look at the passage as a chiasm, it makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. So for about 15 chapters, the writer of Exodus, whom we believe to be Moses, Moshe, he builds this incredible chiastic structure. And it really starts, interestingly enough, I was thinking about this yesterday, that you could call this session from cloud to cloud because it starts with at the end, the very end of chapter 24 of Exodus or Shemot, as it's called in Hebrew, it starts with talking about the cloud of God's glory that is resting or residing or covering Mount Sinai. And so you have God way up here on the top of the mountain and all of his majesty revealed. And that passage of scripture in the Parshat, in the passages of scripture that are read every Sabbath across the world in both Jewish synagogues and Messianic congregations, that that where you read about the cloud is at the end of Parsha Mishpatim. And the the very next chapter, chapter 25, starts Parsha Terumah, which actually, as we're recording this broadcast today, Terumah is where we are in the Parshat. That is the passage that will be expounded upon three days from now in synagogues around the world. So I think it's just the coolest thing. Let me just put in one thing here because she's talking about Torah portion. She's saying the Hebrew and, um, and I know some of you might not be familiar with that, but, but Torah portions, like she said, in every synagogue, Messianic, Jewish, and even some Gentiles churches do this now where they, give the Torah portion because it's a way of working through the first five books of the Bible, but the Messianic or some of the Gentiles add now portions of the New Testament as well. So if it's strictly Orthodox, then there's no New Testament, but in some of the Messianic and Christian types of churches will actually add New Testament scriptures in there as well. And it's a lovely way just to get through all the chapters. But every year they they put a different spin on it or they bring out a certain point more often or or something like that. So it's very fascinating. But it's um also, I mean, to me, you're always in God's word. You're always in the word. It's not a sermon in a sense. It, I mean, it can be a sermon type, but it's teaching. It's scripture mm-hmm. teaching and helping you to understand what is being said and the meanings behind it all. And so, so like she's saying that there's so many of these chiasmic structures, but what that does, how that helps us, it helps us just as she described that podium, because that was a really good word picture but but you would when you're standing at the top you're at the peak of it you're at the meaning of it and this is what they're building up to in a sense if you go up like a mountain you so you have like poetry when we learn it in in uh, high school uh, some of our high school writings you know you learn 
different structures of poetry and where words rhyme and where to repeat something or, or whatever, a haiku, I think of that, you know, there's a structure to a haiku. And that's what we're talking about. Writings with structure to get to a central meaning. And I, I, it's very beautiful when you start, but one of the easiest ones we mentioned before we got on air, but we mentioned it's like the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So you have a Sabbath, B man, B man, a Sabbath. So that's what she's talking about. The A, B, it can be A, B, B, A, it can be A, B, C, D. And repeat that structure or whatever. So there you go. I just wanted to add a few of those little things in in case um, somebody didn't understand the Hebrew. So thank you. Keep going. That's, thank you. Thank you for, for adding that in. And, uh, you know, if someone says, well, why on earth are you even bothering with this? Then, you know, a good response for that is, well, even the Lord used chiastic structures in that verse that you just quoted. He was talking about the Sabbath and he was educating and he used a very simple chiastic structure to do that. So this is, this is something that was very integral in, in the Old Testament. But like you say, you also find it in the New Testament as well. So um, it's it's all and, and you made the comment when we were uh, before we started recording that um, you had found uh, a website that says that there are chiastic structures in every book of the Old and New Testament. So uh, that would be a fun treasure hunt to go on to find all of those and to look at all of those. But this morning, I want us to focus on this one in Exodus, because I think it's just so fascinating and so beautiful. And it starts with the cloud of God's glory at the end of Exodus 24. And that is the first A section. So A is, is cloud, let's just say. And then starting with Parsha Terumah, chapter 25 of Exodus. And this is the B section. And the B section goes from 25 through verse 11 of chapter 31. And this section is the command to build the tabernacle, or in Hebrew, the Mishkan. Uh, so that's the first B section. And as you can see, it goes on for six chapters. It's a pretty lengthy section. Then you have the first C section, and that goes from verse 12 of chapter 31 only through verse 17. So this is a short section within the chiasm, and it talks about the Sabbath, Shabbat. Then next, you are at the pinnacle. You are at the dais. And this is chapter 32 through chapter 34. And it describes the entire golden calf incident. Now, you're at the top of the dais, right? So you're going to go down the other side in reverse order. So what would be next? It would be another short passage about keeping the Sabbath. That's your, that's your C-section returning. So the golden calf incident is sandwiched 
in between the two C-sections, which are about keeping the Sabbath. And then next you have, yes, guess what? A B-section. It too is about the Mishkan. And then finally, we end the chiasm, the Atbash structure in chapter 40, verse 34. We're talking about how the cloud of God's glory has this time, it's not remote up high on a mountain. It has come down and filled the Mishkan. It has filled the tabernacle. And formerly, when it appeared at the end of chapter 24, Moshe, Moses, went up to the top of Mount Sinai into the cloud where he communed with God and was given the Ten Commandments and other information to share with the people, other parts that formed the foundation of the Mosaic law. But notice in chapter 40, verse 34, when the Mishkan was filled with the glory of God, Moshe could not even go inside the Mishkan. So uh, a, a really fascinating way of telling this story and highlighting the things that God wants us to see through the construction of how the information is written in the written Torah, in the written book of Exodus. And I didn't give you the other scripture references, but as you're going down the other side, the C section is chapter 35, verses 1 through 3. And then the B section again is chapter 35, uh, verses four through where you get to chapter 40, verse 33. So that's the B section returning. And so it's, it's the, it, other than the book of Hebrews, it could be argued that the book of Hebrews is also a very large chiasm. I believe this might be the largest chiasm in scripture, this golden calf incident. And if that weren't remarkable enough, you have repetition of exact words in some parts of the chiasm. For example, you have in Exodus 32, verse 1, in the Hebrew, you have, Vayikahel ha'am al-aharon, which means, and they gathered, that's a very important word there, gathered the nation against Aaron. So that is the first appearance in scripture of the word Vayikhel in the Torah. It's the, the very first appearance of it in the Torah. And guess what? The second appearance of that word, slightly different form, because in Hebrew, um, Hebrew is a language that if you're talking about a group versus talking about a person, the vowel pointings of the words are going to be a little bit different, but it's the same root. The second appearance in the corresponding passage on the other side of the chiasm is chapter 35, verse 1. And here it's a positive occurrence as opposed to a negative occurrence. It says, Vayakel Moshe. Here, Moshe gathered the people 
and told them to keep Shabbat. So you have actual phrases repeated in corresponding sections of the chiasm in this wonderful piece of the Old Testament. So I just think it's really wonderful to discover things like this as you're studying scripture and try and figure out, well, why would the X part of this chiasm be the golden calf incident. What is God trying to tell us there, you know, and, and why flank it on either side with admonitions about the Shabbat and why flank the Shabbat with uh, instructions about the construction of the tabernacle and why have as the outer edges of the chiasm information about the cloud of God's glory. It just raises all kinds of interesting questions about why God may have in his perfection and wisdom wanted to deliver it to us in this way. Wow. That's a mouthful, isn't it? That's a lot. And and um and I just I need a question because see she we're going over this for the first time together. So Where did the chiasm start? I didn't get it written down. And so this will, if you got, I know lots of people listen to podcasts as they're driving or walking and they're not near their Bibles, but um, can you just repeat where the chiasm begins? And I thought you said 24 or 25. Yes. You have the mention of the cloud, the Shekinah glory at the very end of Exodus chapter 24, um, that's basically verse 18. Moshe entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain and he remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And it's also mentioned starting in verse 15, the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. And that, that went on for a week. And on the seventh day is when the Lord called to Moshe from within the cloud commanding him to come up. So that's where you see the first appearance there in this chiasm of the Shekinah glory. And then um, you see it at the end. It's the bookends from cloud to cloud of this beautiful passage. Then you see it in 40, and I marked that one. So that was 40, 34. Right. Okay. So, so yeah. So I think that when you understand then that he, he begins with Moses. Moses begins going up to the mountain and the cloud, my, my ESV says, and the cloud covered the mountain. So we know that to break this down even further, that whenever even in um, the Red Sea travel, the wilderness travel of the of Exodus, the cloud represented God by day and the fire represented God by night. And whenever we see cloud, I mean, this is a cool thing too. There's so many parallels and there's so many um, reuses of words. And so they, they reuse these words in these parallels and, and we, and when you really start looking, you can see them. So even like, if you just look at a, the Bible and, just follow the water. <laughs> you have various messages throughout scripture about water. Living water is the knowledge of God. It's an idiom. But where do we see water? We see them walk through 
the Red Sea. So that's a type of baptism. Then they walk through Jordan before they go into the, the promised land, Canaan. So you see them doing a type of baptism every time they enter a new stage. And then and then with the glory of God above them and behind them, it's it's they're fully encased in water as they walk through the dry land of the Red Sea. So we constantly see this this whole repetitive notion of water so when you see that thing repeated make a note in your bible because there's probably a reason it's repeated and then you can again Mm -hmm. the easiest way is just start finding okay what is similar between this water and that water and now what is the next phrase that's repeated within between the two waters and that is kind of how you find them correct and we're you know i'm new at this i'm new at learning and finding these things most of what i have found i've been told and so i look them up and i find them and and then um i try to find them on my own but but the more i do read the more i do find now that i understand their structure and um, and one of the really early ones that was pointed out to me because and the only reason I remembered this is because I have it marked in my Bible, but as we were I was flipping with you and you can probably hear my pages, um, <laughs> I have it marked that in Exodus thirty two, when they saw the calf, when God God kind of let them know ahead of time, there's a problem, got to go down the mountain take care of this problem. Um, they've already built an idol and this whole idol comes from Egypt. This whole idol making thing is part of their old nature. In a sense, it's part of their old life that God's trying to correct them and change. But I found this so interesting because I, um, in chapter 32, 28. So after Moses saw that the people, this is actually 25. Moses saw that the people had broken loose and they had made this idol, this calf of God, but basically told them to go and kill your brother and your companion and their companion. And he wanted to punish them. So it says in 28, the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, 3000 men of the people fell. So as a result of that mm-hmm. idol making 3000, and this is Right after the giving of the law, the give the first Pentecost. Right. And then what do we see? Again, this is like on the same order of what you're talking about, because this is what the Bible does. It repeats itself to emphasize something, I guess, would be the best word. Right. You see in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, where the spirit is given in Acts 2, it said um, in in verse 41 so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day 3000 souls mm-hmm. so on one end of the giving of the law we see 3000 souls taken then on the other end in the new testament in acts when the day of the spirit was given we see 3000 souls saved and i i think that is just a beautiful thing that we can see in scripture and that takes a little digging, right? It takes some, not just reading to read, but reading to find those parallels and reading to find a deeper meaning that's there. And and God mm-hmm. is beautiful in that he does this circular motion, not a straight line like we live our lives. Right. 
we live our lives on a single timeline, but he doesn't. He lives right. his life in a circle, or I say that loosely, life, his existence, his rule is a circular motion in a sense. It comes back to redeem. It's always coming back to redeem. And mm-hmm. I think that's what we see in Exodus in a sense, where you he was trying to do something here by but with Moses. Then in the middle, the people sinned. And then he goes back to, okay, here's my tabernacle. Now I'm going to dwell with you. And now I'm going to help you because you're going to make this structure. And now I'm going to dwell within your tent. I'm going to dwell within your camp. So I'm here all the time with you to help you. And I I think, I mean, I may be reading more into it, but I think that that's the beautiful part of it. And he kind of keeps emphasizing resting and building, resting and building. And here's another, to me, fascinating part of this Parsha. In chapter 25, at the very beginning of this Parsha, look at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive my offering from every man whose heart compels him. And then it goes on to say the types of things Mm -hmm. that the people could bring for an offering. And what were they going to do with these things? What was going to be done with these things? Well, if you look at verse eight, they were going to be uh, used to build the Mishkan, right? Mm -hmm. So notice that the Lord is saying every man whose heart compels him. So it it was up to every man, every Israelite male to freely give to the building of the Mishkan. All right. Now look at Exodus 32. By contrast, Aaron is saying in chapter 32, verse two. So Aaron told them, the people, take off the gold earrings that are on your wives, sons and daughters and bring them to me. Do you hear the difference in the tone there? It's a totally different tone. You know, they they came to Aaron and said, fix this. We are without a leader. You must do something. And so, first of all, they had withheld a lot of their gold, hadn't they, Mm -hmm. from giving it in chapter 25. They had withheld that. And because they had withheld that, it became a curse to them. And And it was used, yes, it was an idol since they withheld it from God. Anything we withhold from God is an idol. And so they brought it at this time so that it could be fashioned into a molten calf. So to me, that is another amazing part of this particular chiasm when when the people, uh, because they withheld from God, they ended up worshiping an idol and the Levites. I didn't, I didn't realize this until I studied this, this passage more deeply, but the Levites were the only tribe that didn't participate in this idolatry. Right. For God preserved them, I believe supernaturally because man being man, Levite or not Levite, people being people, it would be a miracle mm-hmm. if none of the Levites joined in. But apparently they did not. Right. Because he, he used them to punish the people. So I when I yeah, I assumed that they must have not done it because they weren't being punished. Correct. Correct. 
It's very interesting. There's so many things you can bring up and and to leave Exodus a little bit because my mind goes all over the place sometimes. I I again go back to these parallels that I've learned. You know, you see Rachel in Genesis, the wife of Jacob hiding her idol. We see idols throughout scripture even today we may not have a little gold statue that we worship and bow down to, but we certainly have our idols. And mm-hmm. this is why it's part of the Ten Commandments. You know, it's it's God knew we were we were prone to putting an idol in our life. We were going to worship what we can see rather than what we can't. And we all do it in one way or another we're all guilty in one way or another Mm -hmm. whether i mean and i always tell people it's like food becomes an idol we don't even realize our husbands our spouses our children can become idols when we put them above the lord and it's a scary thought because we're really no different than they are it's just that instead of the lord wiping us out (laughs) <laughs> with you know in in one in one day he gives us grace and he convicts us and lets us repent and come back to him just like we see in the new testament in acts he didn't destroy those because there were idol worshipers with throughout the new testament we already Correct. know that from even Correct. paul's writings we know that there were people buying silver idols made a you know of all sorts of things but not just silver but he didn't destroy them instead he sent his holy spirit to convict them correct and change their hearts and and i think that's that's the redemption story that we have to look at from genesis to revelation it's always redeeming a situation redeeming and bringing us back and and i read a book called the epic of eden and it's Sandra Richter, and she talks, and it's about Eden. And again, looking at something in a circular way, you have the Garden of Eden, and then what comes down besides Jerusalem, but what comes down with the city of Jerusalem in Revelation, but the the tree of life. So here we see it again. He is trying to go get us back to the Garden of Eden. Correct. He had a he had a chases out you know if we put all of our names into adam and eve because we're no different and he had to chase them out he would have chased you and i out and but he made a way for us to come back where he could dwell with us in person again yes and it's a beautiful beautiful story from beginning to end it's a beautiful story but we have to see it you have to want to you want to have to want to see it, I guess, is the only way I know to put it. Yes. Yeah. You know, I think that for me, as you and I have talked about before, yes, I know the Lord made me a researcher. He made me a studier. I, that's part of what's inside of me that I can't get rid of. I can't change because it's who I am. But, but I do pray all the time that the Lord would show me more of himself that the Lord would open my eyes, the Lord would give me ears to hear, um, that he would remove deceit from my mind, that if it's if I've learned something that is not right, remove that and change it. Open my eyes to the to the misinformation. I don't want to say lies because I don't think people just 
purposely lied to you for the most part. I think it's just the way we're taught in some sort, especially Bible, especially Christianity. We all have, we've all been taught in different ways, depending on your denomination, depending on, you know, how your parents worship the Lord. So I think it's just getting back to what's been wrong with my education up until now. Yes. So now change those things, open my eyes to them, help me see your truth. Yes. I mean, I just think that if we all prayed that way, and I'm not saying I pray the best or the most consistently, but if think of our lives, if we all just ask the Lord, remove all the deceit, remove all the false information, Mm -hmm. remove the bad information and show me truth. You have to be willing to give it up, however. You have to be able to, uh, you know, I, I believe that God will will reveal more as we're mm-hmm. willing to to hear him. There's no right. point in him revealing more if we are going to hold on to our traditions, shall we say. If we have made them idols and we, we want to hold on to them instead of releasing that in light of new truth that that we have been taught then then plus the point in god sharing that with us exactly and that's such a good point I, i think that there's no point in learning for the sake of learning unless you take the word and you sow it into your heart you allow the holy spirit to work it into your heart and into your life then there's no point in in being a Bible nerd or whatever, right? There's just no point. No, absolutely. I I was in in my weekly service this past weekend, and my pastor made the comment that uh, there's no way that the Bible could have been written by mere men. It's just too miraculous a book, and that's so very true. So many people disparage the Bible because they don't study it. And the more you study it, the more God opens your heart to reveal to you the mysteries and the beauty of it. And so it just makes me sad when people dismiss mm-hmm. it as being just a book or, or quote, being full of contradictions or whatever, you know, I was even thinking that how many people say it's contradicted self, but, but seriously, when it, when we see contradictions in the Western way of looking at things in the Greek mindset, the Hebrew mindset does not see contradictions. They just see that now we need to get to a deeper truth of what God's trying to show us because somewhere we miss something or, or somewhere something I I didn't get, you know, so now I need to study more because God doesn't contradict himself. Right. Um, and I, I think that is true from Genesis to Revelation. There are no contradictions. And there's this Hebrew hermene- hermeneutics says that it's the law first mentioned. So, so even if you see something that appears to be a contradiction, you go back to the first mention of it and there is your meaning or there is the main concept of it maybe that we need to find a relationship to again and and I know that's probably oversimplified but but I think that it's it's really understanding it's a book written by Middle Eastern men 
by a God who, who created this language, Hebrew, that glorifies him. I actually heard this the other day, that in Hebrew, there are no curse words, no bad swear words like we have in, in our language and other languages, because it was a holy language. Mm-hmm. There was no way to, to, I don't know, say some of the things that we say that we might condemn or curse ourselves or curse God. There was, there was no way of doing that in that language with a specific word. Mm. And I thought that was so interesting because that, that language, as you even gave us some of the alphabet, the Aleph goes back to God. It's his letter. It represents him. Every Orthodox Jew knows that. Every Messianic Jew knows that. And the second letter, just like you mentioned, it's the Tav. And when Jesus said, I am the Alpha and Omega, in in Hebrew, he would have said, I am the Aleph and the Tav. That's right. I am the beginning and the end. He used his own language to say that. Yes. And we miss those things. You know, it's the first letter and the last letter. And and then the bait the bet it it means house and it's it represents him he's you know i mean it's so beautiful in how it all comes together because even then the word father is an aleph and a bet and it means the household of the father mm-hmm. the household of god yes. and it's just beautiful everything comes together and points right back to the father the son and the holy spirit that's that's right and uh if 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 listeners go to my blog you'll go there and you'll see well my goodness she did a lot of writing from 2014 to 2021 but she's just not written a lot since then and the reason for that is because in 2021 I made the decision to start studying Hebrew which true confession even my dearest friends were like you have lost your mind why are you doing this but now it's been almost two years that I've studied this language, and I can't tell you what a tremendous blessing it has been and how it opens up scriptures to read them in their original language. And even the, you know, we, we have the, the, the Greek New Testament, but even that, it wasn't originally written in Greek most of it anyway. Right. And you really can't tell people that because we actually, I was speaking at my church on a Wednesday evening and and I really, I had a woman who insisted it was written in Greek. It was written in Greek. And I said, it may have been translated within weeks or months of being written, but it was written in Hebrew first. That's correct. And I said, and because they have manuscripts that prove even the gospels, there are Hebrew written gospels of the New Testament. And Aramaic. You know, Aramaic was sort of a dialect of Hebrew. It was the spoken dialect uh, that Jesus used. Yes. Right. And so um, I have a dear friend who's in the final stages of publishing a translation of the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, from the original Aramaic. He's an Aramaic scholar. And he lives within 30 minutes of where I live. And he's one of the people that I'm 
privilege to study with. He's one of the rabbis that I study with. He's a believer in Yeshua and he's translated the Brit Kadashah into Aramaic. And I absolutely can't wait until his translation comes out. Me either. That'll be very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just got this book yesterday. Have you heard of the the Forgotten Jesus, How Western Christians Should Follow an Eastern Rabbi? And it's by Rabbi, I'm sorry, Robbie Galati. And um, I heard how good it was, and I honestly haven't read it, but Lois Tverberg, who um, is the author of many books, and then also I had her on my podcast, but she also um, endorsed it. And this man is a New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary um, PhD. But um, he basically just says that, you know, our understanding of Jesus has been shaped by the multitude of different cultural influences. And many Christians today have forgotten that Jesus was a Jewish man living in a Jewish land, observing Jewish customs, investing his life in Jewish men and women. So he goes and tries to help us rediscover. Now, the woman who gave me this book said she used it for Bible studies. She used it for women's studies. She goes, it was just a book club type of thing. But she goes, but there was so much scripture in it, but also so much truth that it was um, just really good for us to understand the Jewishness of Jesus, which is what this podcast is meant to do. And that's why I bring people on like you and and people, I mean, if I could get this guy on my show, I would, <laughs> but you know, people who can teach us more about the Jewishness of Jesus so we can learn, so we can appreciate and love him more because that is the goal that we know him better and we love him more. That should be our goal. And that he gets right? all the glory and he gets all the glory. Yes. Amen. Absolutely. So I appreciate, I don't know how long we've been at this, but I, um, but it's been a great Bible study. So we probably, we probably, I know I say this, I say this on every single air, every single podcast I air, but we could have gone on for another hour and, um, gone deeper. And sometime I'm going to have to even talk about the chiasm within the creation story and, and all of that, because I, I just think that there's so many worth mentioning and examining and and understanding that it it just makes it it makes scripture come alive yes absolutely does and it's been such a pleasure to be with you it's always we're we're a lot alike i think we both love the scriptures and love to study them and and love to share what we learn in the scriptures with others for the glory of God. And it's just always so much fun when we sit down and get to, to talk together. So thank you for the opportunity just to come on and, and share about the Lord, about our Father, uh, and uh, this, you know how much we love Him. I just appreciate the opportunity. You're welcome. Thank you. You might show up on season three as well, so <laughs> be waiting. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. You can find me at www.graftedjewishroots.com. You can also find me on Twitter at GraftedJewishRT. I appreciate you being with me, and I'll see you next time.